you know, when you can impact someone else's life and then they're grateful for it and you can see the difference and they feel the difference and that's just so rewarding. How we take care of ourselves will determine our health, our longevity, and the quality of our lives. What if you could tap into the fountain of youth and vitality merely by the food that you eat? Welcome to The Spark. This is Stephanie James. My guest tonight is Dr. Ryan Johnson. Ryan is a former Division I college athlete and was recognized as the top academic All-American of the year for all of college football in 2002. He went on to earn a clinical doctorate degree in health sciences, become an exercise science professor at Montana State University, own a fitness and rehabilitation business, and for the last six and a half years has coached several thousand people to health transformations with customized nutritional rebalancing superfood systems. Ryan, thank you so much for joining me today on The Spark. You're welcome. It's my pleasure. Honored to be here. Talk to me a little bit about your journey, kind of like I know that when we've spoke before, um, you didn't always start out doing what you're doing right now and that, you know, you're you're a medical doctor, but you also have had a really interesting journey on your way to get there. So can you talk a little bit about just maybe from your younger days leading up until where you're at now? I'm a firm believer that it's important to identify, you know, what is your what is your primary purpose? Like, what, what, what's your reason, you know, for being here, not only for, you know, yourself, but, but more importantly to how you can impact the world. And I think that's a process that you have to uncover and discover, you know, over the course of your life. And I think most people will find common themes throughout the course of their life that really give them a good, you know, indicator of, you know, what that deeper underlying purpose is. And uh, you may go through a lot of different assignments, along the way, you know, in the form of, of jobs or volunteer, you know, things that you participate in and maybe coaching your kids sports or, you know, any number of different activities that you find yourself having temporary assignments in throughout the course of your life. But usually when you look back over the course of all those assignments that you gravitated towards and that you thrived with them, you'll start to see some underlying common themes. And, and that really is a good reflection in many cases of your, your ultimate reason, your ultimate purpose, and how you're here to you know, impact the world as well as maximize your own potential in the process. And so for me, as I look back over the course of my entire life, it really started at a very young age uh, where for whatever reason, hardwired into my DNA, I found that I was just fascinated in you know the human body and the human mind and and how those things work together and you know how a person can understand their own mind and body better and then really take it to the next level and, and up level their life and up level their performance and and become their best self i mean i'm talking you know in elementary school i was thinking things like this <laughs> which is probably not normal it's probably unusual <laughs> um but you know when I, when I look back over the course of, of my life and all the things that i've participated in and things that I haven't been as successful in and things that I've excelled in. And I see that common theme of my, my, myself really being really intrigued by the body and the mind and how to maximize its performance. And uh, I look back to second grade, even we had a, a science fair and I wanted to do the science fair and I wasn't really quite sure what that, what, what, what experiment to do or, you know, what, what project to work on. And my mom said, well, you know, you've always really showed a, an interest in the body and you're, you're always been curious and asking a lot of questions, you know, about the body and how it works. And, and she said, why don't you do something on the human body since that's something that excites you. And, you know, when everyone else was doing volcanoes, like pretty much 99% of people <laughs> in second grade science project were volcanoes <laughs> and I chose the human body. I mean, I already had a, probably a better chance than most just because it was different to win. But, uh, you know, I ultimately went super deep into it. And I actually learned all 206 plus bones of the body in second grade, right? That you could point them out and I could tell you the name of the bone from the head to the toes and everything in between. And, and, and then also we, we got a, uh, a cow's femur and, and we had it halved 
and I could tell you all the different layers and different parts of the bone and what and what they did down to the bone marrow and the periosteum covering the bone. And, and so we had an interview as a part of this science project and they were able to you know ask me questions and I was able to answer all of them. And so I ended up winning the science fair. And so that was kind of a, I guess a, a an entry into you know, my, my continued passion for the body and how it works. And so, you know, up through high school, I found myself, you know, wanting to take all the courses, anatomy and physiology courses, biology courses. And those are the ones that excited me the most. And that I could find myself, you know, actually reading more than required for the homework and test. Wow. <laughs> might be an indicator, you know, that it's something that you're passionate about and that lights your fire. Yeah. Uh, and, and, and so, I've carried that on through college, ended up getting an exercise science degree. And I was all, I was an athlete, uh, played division one college football at a high level. And, and I always found myself always asking the questions after class of my professors, uh, how I could improve my own performance and take it to that next level beyond just the basics that we were learning about anatomy and physiology. I was like, okay, that's easy. Tell me the next part. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> how do I discover how to really maximize my performance? And so I did, I, and I would, I trained myself and I experimented on myself. I tried so many different things and I found things that didn't work, found, found things that worked. And ultimately I had ended up having a lot of success, a very successful career in college football because of that. After that, I went on and I had got a master's degree and a doctorate degree in physical rehabilitation and got out in the working world and practice and, and began you know, continuing down other paths, um, investing tens of thousands of hours and tens of thousands of dollars beyond what I'd already paid for graduate, all those graduate degrees. Uh, immediately I was out there investing as much as I could. Cause I know that the best investment that I could ever make wasn't necessarily in, you know, stocks and bonds or real estate. Although those things are, are nice, you know, to, to amplify your income is really investing in yourself. You're your best investment. And, and so I, I, I did that. I, I saw that, you know, if I can invest in me, that ultimately is going to enable me to add more value to the world and make a bigger impact. And, you know, any income will just be a reflection of that. It'll just be a measuring stick for the amount of value and impact that, that I could leave in the world in impacting human lives. Well, and that's yeah. such an important part just right there, Ryan, that I think is important to emphasize because oftentimes people get the wrong message about that. And I think especially, you know, women who are the caretakers and take care of the kids or the family, you know, we feel like it's selfish to focus on ourselves. but it's actually essential if we're going to help and bring our gifts to the world, we've got to do some of that, right? Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, what do they tell you when you get on the airplane in case the oxygen mask drop out of the overhead compartments? What are you supposed to do? Right, you, you put, put your own on first. first before you put it on your child, you know, next to you. And because uh, if you're not, you're not there, and in your best self, you can't help somebody else. So it's a great analogy for for life. So, so you know, I took that that philosophy and and always reinvesting in myself, and it's really paid off, mostly in the impact that I've been able to make on an increasing level year after year. Whatever the assignment, getting back to what we were talking about at the beginning, whatever the different assignments that I that I've had, I've been an exercise scientist. I was for eight years. Uh, at a university. I also had a fitness and rehabilitation center, um, two different locations in that community. Since then, I've transitioned into looking at uh, body rebalancing through superfood nutrition and uh, cellular detoxification. I've always been on that quest to, you know, how can I help other people maximize their human potential, specifically, you know, phys physically and mentally. And, and so the assignments have changed over the course of my life. Uh, but if I look back through the common themes, that's always been the underlying purpose. So my uh, recommendation for everyone that's listening right now is to, you know, look back over the course of your life at your different assignments and the things that you gravitated towards, you know, and the things that think the things that excited you and the things that you, you really felt you made a big impact and the things that people told you that they were grateful for the things that people told you that you were exceptional at and the things that where you felt like, you were in the flow and like time seemed to stand still. If you look back through those things, you'll start to, you know, have an understanding of, you know, what is that underlying purpose for yourself? And, you know, if you can live in that, that's the greatest fulfillment there is. In fact, that's probably the greatest stress reliever 
that there is, is meaningful work that's in line with your purpose and your passion, what, you, what excites you. And hey, if you can get paid to do it, that's just a nice you know, cherry on top. That's just a nice extra bonus. What you're saying right now, Ryan, is so essential. When I work with a lot of clients, we do visionary process where they do exactly what you're talking about. It's like coming up with your own personal mission statement as you look back through what are the common threads throughout your life, what gave meaning to your life, I love what you said about, you know, when you're in the flow, when people said, wow, you're just so good at that. And you're just such a natural at that. Paying attention to what our passions, our gifts are, because then that can become our purpose and our mission and our passion in then what we bring to the world. Yes. And, you know, be flexible with the assignments that you're given over the course of your life. Don't feel like you have to be locked into, you know, the same job or the same volunteer, you know, uh, opportunity or, or, or the same coaching assignment or whatever that is, that can change the underlying purpose and mission usually doesn't. Right. Well, and I know for you, it did change because you had your own practice. And can you talk a little bit about what happened with that and how you transitioned then to this whole other place that you're at now? The other thing that, that people typically find is what they tend to gravitate towards uh, in terms of their assignments over the course of life often comes back to uh, a personal experience or you know personal stories. So what got me interested in going into physical medicine and, and rehab and fitness was I uh, had an injury in high school and I broke my ankle and I had to have a surgery early in the season and I, I, I made it my goal to get back to playing during that same season. And I did within six weeks, it was, it was horrible. <laughs> it, helped, it felt horrible, but it was uh, you know, a goal that I set for myself. And uh, so I got to familiar with the rehabilitation process and it, and it just really excited me that, you know, how the body could heal itself, but how we could facilitate its healing through various exercise and manual stimulation modalities and things like that. And so that human you know, experience that I had that was meaningful to me led me down that path. And after I had been doing that for a decade, after graduate school, I uh, ultimately realized my own body and my own health was on the decline. Mm -hmm. it, was, it was starting to you know, fail itself. And I didn't feel good. I was on that energy roller coaster on a daily basis up and down. I started to have a distaste for exercise, even though I used to love exercise because every time I'd exercise, I'd be inflamed in most of my joints. Um, a lot of that was a history of getting beat up uh, throughout high school and college football. And so, you know, as I was trying to continue to exercise at a high level, I found myself exercising less and less over time. And then I got into that, you know, rat race of life that many of the listeners probably find themselves in where they're, you know, in that constant state of overwhelm and overly busy, feeling unproductive or ineffective in life because they feel like they're pulled in so many different, different directions and juggling so many balls in the air at the same time. And, and that was me. I had a five-year-old and a two-year-old. I was 31 years old. I had gained about four inches on my waist. I wasn't overweight necessarily from you know, a BMI perspective, but uh, I was getting thinner and fatter at the same time. If you know what I mean, I was, I was becoming skinny fat, which <laughs> is worse than fat. So ultimately I was gaining that, that fat around my, my, in my belly area. And I'd seen what happened. I get to this a little later with, with my dad's health during that decade as well, as he was aging and all the different medications he was getting put on and the different health conditions that he was getting diagnosed with one after another. And I said, well, that's my family history. That's my dad. That's all his brothers, his dad, and up the chain from there that's right coming down to me, even though I'm a former college athlete. And uh, most people would look at me and say, that's a fairly healthy fit guy. I knew that based on my own history, I had to be more proactive than most people. And so I was looking for, you know, ways that I could provide myself, you know, healthy nutrition in the midst of my busy, crazy, chaotic work schedule, juggling all those things I was juggling at the same time and ways that I could work out and actually feel good and, and not feel like I had to take four days to recover and not be inflamed and in pain. And so uh, I stumbled upon uh, a, new, a new way of feeding myself from a gym owner who was at one of the uh, rehab centers that I had. 
And he explained to me how he had gotten tremendous results from a new system of nutritionally rebalancing his body with some superfoods, as well as combining that with intermittent fasting and cellular cleansing. And I said, well, that sounds intriguing. I, I, I kind of don't think it will work. <laughs> it sounds like, you know, pseudoscience to me um, coming from my evidence-based medicine background. But I said, you know, the best thing I could do is be to test this on myself and experiment with it on myself. Like I had so many other things, like I mentioned earlier in the interview over the course of my life is that the, sometimes the best research is, you know, putting something in your body or trying a new technique or a new exercise or a new uh, injury rehab um, approach and, and seeing what the results are for you. Because everybody's body's going to be different. There's not a one-size-fits-all perfect recipe approach for anything right. when it comes to the health, healthy mind and body. You know, there can be some common themes that can that we can find through evidence-based medicine that work for more people. But there's not something that works every 100% of the time in every situation for every person. So I said, why don't I just try this? And so I just I, I started following this this approach and the system and. Uh, not only did it put more ease into my life where I was eating healthy, easy on the go, which is so critical, uh, to main for, for a sustainable lifestyle, healthy lifestyle change. But I started seeing my weight, my waist shrink. I started seeing those inches on my belly start to, uh, shrink and, and go away. I, in fact, I lost about four inches during the first four to six weeks on my Holy weight. Cow. And, uh, so that was huge. I knew that, that belly fat, that visceral fat was, um, you know, one of the common, uh, predictors of metabolic syndrome and many other health conditions. And so I knew that was the most important area of fat to get rid of on my body. So, you know, that was positive. And, and then I started re recognizing that my, my workout, I felt like I was recovering better from my workouts. I was able to work out and lift, lift my weights harder and recover faster. Uh, my energy was stable throughout the day. It was working for me. And that's where Doug became, you know, my curious scientist self and then dug in and said, well, what's the difference here? You know, what's, what's working here that wasn't working for me before. And, and that's where I was, you know, blown away and just in, 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 with that ex human experience, that story that I had that led me down the path of, well, shoot, this is helping me while this may not help 100% of the people out there in the world, it's very likely it could help many of them. Cause I knew so many people were in my same situation. And uh, it, it could benefit. And so that experience, that story, that, that result, just like I had gotten in high school from recovering from an injury that led me down a path, that path of uh, venturing into physical medicine rehabilitation, now led me down a new path where I could actually, I, I found that I had a tool that I could leverage that could help changing someone, change someone's body and mind from the inside out, which was something that I didn't have necessarily with just my hands and manipulation of the body and modalities from the outside in, um, and, and an exercise from the outside in, this was something I could, I could work on with people from the inside out. And so that excited me. And so that's what led me down a new path over these last, it's been about six and a half years now. And, uh, just, I've seen more miracles in this last six and a half years and helping equip people and empower people with the tools that I found to help myself from a nutritional standpoint. Um, more miracles than I've seen in the previous decade. Not to say that what I was doing before wasn't beneficial, wasn't helping a lot of people. This has just been more powerful. And, and you know, when you can impact someone else's life and then they're grateful for it and you can see the difference and they feel the difference and that's just so rewarding. And Nothing whatever, like it. Whatever field that is, like with you, you know, with mental health how rewarding that is, you know, by equipping people to take control of their own mental health, you know, and facilitating that process is amazing. You know, and, so. and these two being interconnected. I think we oh, talked yeah. a little bit about that before, you know, this whole mind body connection. Yes. And it used to be kind of a, a woo woo thing, uh, you know, a frou frou thing. And it was kind of that, I know quack, you know, <laughs> is what you get called if you, as soon as you started talking about mind body connection, but as, Science is advancing so rapidly. There's so much evidence showing that, you know, your thinking patterns absolutely affect your body's physiology and vice versa. The food that's going in your stomach and the health of your digestive tract, for instance, and the various populations and balance of microbi the microbiome, the different bacteria and microorganisms in your gut will directly influence through communication through neurons from your gut, from those bacteria, how they communicate with neurons in your gut back up to the brain and can influence your mood, your, 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 uh, how you feel, your, 
your, your energy, your mental focus, your concentration, it can affect that the other direction. So they're, they're really, we can't really say the mind and the body are, are separate. They're directly interconnected and that's proven through the science now. Well, exactly. And this, the more that the more connection they find. When you were talking about inflammation, that's what I always think about, you know, if we have inflammation in the gut, we actually have inflammation in the brain. Our mind isn't contained between our two ears. That's not the only place our mind is. It's in every single cell of our entire being. Yes, absolutely. I mean, if you, if you were to look into the, the human cell, there's a hundred trillion cells in the body and each one is made up of what they estimate as a quadrillion parts. And that number can't even, most of us can't even wrap our mind around that number. <laughs> but those cells, they, they produce energy, they manufacture uh, different parts of the cells to keep the cells working properly and um, manufacture various uh, uh, substances that help to detoxify our body in some cases. Um, they, there's parts of the, of the cell that will, uh, identify parts of the of cells that aren't working and break those pieces apart and either recycle them or, or discard them out of the cell as waste. These are, are, our cells are, are, are thinking, living, they have their, they have a mind and they yeah. have that are more complex and powerful than any supercomputer or any cell phone. Like this inner One intelligence, it's huge. Yes. At one point you decided to stop your practice. What was that transition point about for you? I got to a critical juncture where I realized that one person can only be spread so thin. I had a fitness and rehab business, two locations. I had full-time position teaching exercise science courses and labs at the university. Like I said, I had a five and a two-year-old and a wife. <laughs> and uh, I also then had this new superfood nutrition body rebalancing business that, that I was doing as well in the pockets of time, which I barely had. And I was helping a lot of people. And it was, it was getting to a point, though, where I couldn't help as many people as I wanted to be able to help in that new business venture uh, because... I just had only so many hours in the day and I knew that wasn't going to be sustainable over the course of the next 30 some years uh, until I was 60 and beyond to be able to do all of those things at the same time. So if I wanted to be able to leverage myself and make the, the most massive impact that I possibly could, that something had to give, I had to let something go. And even though those assignments that I had for those 10 years in fitness and rehab and for those eight years in exercise science professor, were uh, very beneficial and I'm so grateful for them. Uh, I knew I needed to let something go. And while those had been a, a passion for me for a decade, um, and they still were, but there was something that was a greater passion. And, and also at the same time, a way that I could fulfill that purpose that underlied all of the different experiences that I had in my life to a much greater extent. And so that's where I, you know, decided I was going to transition into this new assignment where I still maintain the same purpose, but I could, I had a, a leveraged way to impact far more people. Um, before what I did, I can only help people within a 20 mile radius or so people who would be willing to, you know, come to the classes that I taught, <laughs> they should be there, the students, or be willing to come in for uh, fitness and rehab training and work in, in my clinics. And with this new approach, I actually had the ability to help people leverage through the, through the internet and through social media and through actually helping other people learn how they could help other people with this new nutritional approach and with these new systems. And so I saw that the potential to help far more people than I could ever on by myself was there. And so that just made this, that made the most sense that that was the direction that I needed to go. But so I'll tell you what, it was a challenge because yeah. when, you put in, when you put in tens of thousands of hours and tens of thousands of dollars into all of those degrees and continuing education beyond that, and you're like, wow, I'm going to let that go was the feeling at first. But then I realized all those things were preparing me for the next assignment. Each one was a stepping stone on the journey to where now the path unfolded. Absolutely. Was there a 
pinnacle moment in that when you said enough? Or was it just kind of a gradual decision? What happened with you? Well, I gradually started reducing my time and my investment into uh, into my business. And I started scaling back the number of uh, hours of courses I was teaching at the university, knowing that this was another direction I was going to go. And uh, then when I got to the, a point where this was exceeding the income from those other sources, uh, I realized that now I had the, you know, the uh, potential to be able to make a transition without putting my family in a situation where we were desperate. <laughs> right, right. So it was a, a graduated smart, you know, scaled approach to progressing out of it. But I remember when I came home uh, one day and was talking with my wife uh, in the kitchen and I said, you know what, I'm going to resign from my position at the university this week and I'm going to uh, let all my patients know that I'm moving on from my clinical practice. And it was kind of like the most uh, scary yet exciting moment of my life. <laughs> but uh, now looking back on it six and a half years later, it was the absolute best decision I could have ever made. I think when we step into following our dreams or following what we really feel is our, our next step and part of our vision, it is we're stepping into unknown territory. And because we can't conceptualize quite what all that's going to look like, it can be really scary. But that's part of how we grow, right? We lean into, you know, that edge that's not comfortable. Yes, absolutely. And, and I would say comfort is the enemy of progress. And it's easy to say that. And a lot of people can say, you know, put infographics up on their social media or say that in public. Or I can say that right now. But the reality is, once this interview is over, I have to figure out what is it that makes me uncomfortable because those are the things that I actually need to do the most because that's where progress actually happens. Yeah. The quote is awesome and living it is yes. another thing, right? Yeah. The quote. It's a great quote, <laughs> but yeah. You got to live it. You got to lean into that fear. You got to lean into that uncomfortableness. So yes, and I, many times we think, you know, something, something we, we, we forecast the future and we start thinking, you know, out into what could happen. And that's where, that's, that's where we're going to prevent ourselves from moving forward. And not only that, prevent ourselves from making an impact. It's when we actually step out of comfort, not only that we progress, but we enable ourselves to help other people progress in their life. Right. So, you know, we gotta, we gotta watch, we have to watch our, our we have to be aware. We have to be aware of our mindset. We also have to, we have to be aware of our words. Mm -hmm. I think words are really maybe the best window into the heart, even more than the eyes. You know, we've heard so the eyes are the window to the soul, but words may be even more. I know you know that from what you do as a psychotherapist, right? But uh, you know, I like to say, you know, need is a noose and uh, can't is a curse and want is a, a wish. But where there's a will, there's a way. So, you know, it's, it's a matter of changing those words, what you will, not what you should do, not what you could do, you know, not what you, what you can do, but really exchanging that word for what you will do. And moving forward with courage and heart mixed mixed together. It's paying attention to the words we speak, what we speak into our lives, what we speak into other people's lives, and then the words that we use to describe ourselves and speak, you know, in our inner self. That that's yeah. essential. And really yeah. watching the shoulds, like you said, and you know, guilting ourselves. And I, I always said if I had a bumper sticker, it would say, Don't should on yourself. Yes. <laughs> because it, it keeps us from living a, a more authentic life and, and doing things that we really have a desire to do. It's not that we need to do them, like you said, or we want to do them. Absolutely. You know, we're 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 becoming the best version of ourselves, and so we're following that path. And the thing you were just talking about that really resonated, Ryan, with me too, is this thing of when we do this future forecasting, you know, and I always say to my clients that are doing that, you know, unless you've become psychic in the last 24 hours and you didn't tell me, there's no way you can predict what's going to happen. So when we start catastrophizing the what if game, I said, that's all fantasy. Yes. You know, and, and so the only point of power is in the present moment. Yes. We can yes. come back to this moment and then look at what we want to design. It doesn't mean we don't think about the future, but yes. we don't do the what if game. We don't do the catastrophizing. Yeah. We don't do, oh my gosh, it's scary because I don't know what it's going to truly look like. We come back so to the point of power where we're like, 
this is what we can do. This is how I'm going to move forward now. Yes. I was at a business training course on the last few days in LA and uh, one of the acronyms they use for fear, I've heard many different acronyms for fear, but th this, this one stood out to me. It was future events action required. So when you're, when you're, when you're looking at a future event and that's preventing you from taking a step forward and moving the direction, you know, you need, should, you need to go. You need to just take that step forward action required. You're looking into that future. And you know, when, when really you say, what can I do right now? What will I do right now for the better word? Yes. That yeah. step. Always just, and then, and then just, and then just evaluate. You don't want to get stuck in that. What if loop or that, that why loop you want to focus on what will I do right now? And then when you take that step, just evaluate it and say, what worked? What didn't work? What might I do different next time? Take yourself out of that, that why is something not working or, you know, why this, why that, or you get stuck in that why loop and just say, you know what? I just need to take an action, evaluate the result and ask myself what worked, what didn't work. What might I do different next time? Because then it's also stepping out of the worry and the anxiety into like, how can I show up for myself today? How can I show up right now to move myself forward in the direction of my dreams? Absolutely. Yeah, the people who crush it in life, crush it in anything, whether it's their physical health or mental health, and we know those things are, are interrelated or in business or whatever their career is or in making some sort of an impact through nonprofit or volunteer organization. They're the people who don't get stuck in that, you know, future forecasting and and and, and that worry state or that that panic state or, or thinking that I, I could be ruined if XYZ happens. They don't think like that. They think, what what do I need to do today to move myself forward and to make an impact today? And I think important too to talk about, and maybe you can speak to this, Ryan, even if today I make mistakes, even if today what I tried failed, this concept of failing forward or not being afraid to fail. Tell me a little bit around your mindset around that. Well, coming from a exercise science professor background in biomechanics, we, we used to talk about how, you know, walking is actually a series of falls. If you want to move forward, you, you, you have to walk, but no one usually thinks about the fact that every time you take a step, you're moving outside of your comfort zone, which is your base of support, which is your feet. And you're moving your center of gravity outside of your foot so that it can propel your body forward. And then you start falling to the earth, but you catch yourself with your next step. And then you move forward in front of your base, your, your center of gravity outside of your that next base of support. And you start falling and you catch yourself with the next step. And it's not like when we were, when we were you know, learning to walk when we were infants, it's not like, you know, we fell a few times and then thought, well, this isn't going to work. I'm hurting myself. <laughs> we just kept getting back up and kept moving forward, kept putting one foot in front of the other. Like imagine if, how, how, how many, how many attempts would you give the average infant to learn how to walk before you said it's not for you? And exactly. <laughs> exactly. I mean, there's a comedian that, that has a little, you know, skit on that. That's like, you know, what is it? Are we going to say to our kids? Oh, I'm sorry. You're just not a walker. Not cut out for walking. Yeah. Sorry, kid. I mean, somehow that's not going to happen. Yes. Yeah, somehow as we age, though, we start to, in many cases, allow the uh, what, what we view as the perception of others. You know about this better than I would. The age and age range, you know, I'm guessing probably you know, eight, eight, nine up through middle school, where this really starts to, you know, become more of a factor where we actually start being more concerned about what other people are thinking or saying the naysayers and the haters start to have an influence on us. It's unfortunate, but the people who, you know, ultimately you know, really fulfill their purpose in life and really crush it and really make the biggest impact. Um, you know, they ultimately learn to overcome it. They don't necessarily have in, in, in every case, the most talent or the best looking or, you know, the, all the, you know, bells and whistles of that make their life pretty. They just are the people who are just obsessed with moving forward on their mission and their path, uh, no matter what, no matter what any outside influences say. And so all of us go through that, you know, in, in life where we do start to care and be concerned about, you know, others and what they think, but you know, the ability to, uh, set that to the, be aware of it first and then set it to the side and then keep moving forward. Just like you did when you learn how to walk, is, is going to be the determining factor, whether or not you fulfill your own potential 
and ultimately whether or not you impact a lot of other people's lives in the process before you're gone. Programming on NoCo FM is supported by its listeners and by Audible.com. With over 180,000 titles to choose from, Audible.com allows you to listen to an immense library of books for every taste on your iPhone, Android, Kindle, tablet, or computer. Audible.com has a special offer for listeners which includes a free audiobook of your choice and a 30-day free trial. Learn more and get your free audiobook now at noco.fm audible. Next time on The Spark. The bottom line is if you have a good relationship with someone, if there's some stability, there's resilience in the relationship, the conversations aren't as difficult. We talk with Daniel Ellenberg, PhD, who works as a leadership coach, communication consultant, licensed psychotherapist, seminar leader, and group facilitator. Daniel helps people create meaningful, inspiring, and resilient personal and professional lives and specializes in helping people create more authentic, compassionate relationships with themselves and others. Join us next week on The Spark, here on NOCO FM. We're going to fall down. Sometimes, like when we were walking, I love that analogy. You know, we fall down, and then we try to re-steady ourselves, and then we take the next step. As we're learning to walk, you know, it's like we're trying to gauge where our safety is. Yes. You know, I was really thinking about that as you were talking about that. And so, you know, we take that kind of tentative step outwards and it's past our comfort zone. It's maybe not totally feeling safe, but that's how we learn how to do it. As we take that next step, secure that next step, steady ourselves. Okay, we might go down for a moment, but we get back up again and we take the next step. Yes, and, and I also teach a lot about the law of inertia. Well, it used to, um, but now I found some applications of it into you know my world now as an entrepreneur and and uh, and helping other people become entrepreneurs is part of what I do. And and it's that you know a system at rest tends to stay at rest, and a system in motion tends to stay in motion. So if a person who's not moving or at rest uh, is really incarcerated by that law of inertia. And to get that, to get the person moving, whether it's you or it's coaching or encouraging somebody else to get moving in their life and in, 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 in just taking that first step is much more difficult to get that to happen than a person who's already just in motion and taking action every single day. And that's easier to course correct those people. So even if they're not going directly in the direction, the GPS setting to where they want to go for their life or their business or their health or whatever it is, if they're moving forward, it's easier to help them course correct and get onto a straighter path with their GPS to that end destination than it is to get them moving in the first place and overcome that inertia where they're stuck and they're, they're not moving at all. So the more that all of us can stay in motion, even if it's not perfectly in the direction of the end destination, according to the GPS, at least we're moving closer to it, even if it's you know, Northeast instead of perfectly North. Even if you're moving Northeast, for instance, and your goal is perfectly straight North, at least you're still moving somewhat in the direction of North. And I like the analogy too, thinking of, you know, flying. My, my brother and sister-in-law are both pilots and they talked about, you know, when you go from one place to the next, you know where the destination is, but the plane literally is not going just in one straight line. You know, we, we don't yes. realize that, but it's constant correction. You know, getting a little bit off the path, getting back on. A little bit off the path, getting back on. Yes. When you set the GPS on your your phone to get to an end destination, you don't necessarily know exactly how you're going to get there. You know, the phone GPS app figures out the map quest or whatever it is, figures out the the best route. But all it needs to know at the start is where are you at right now and where are you going? Yeah. It automatically will figure out that path along the way that gets you there the most efficiently. Now, we don't necessarily have that perfect hardwired GPS in into our own minds. So we have to experiment along the path. But we if we if we first need to know with clarity that direct where's the destination that we're going. 
if we're ever going to have a chance to start move, making progress towards it, even though you may not know the, the path along the way. But I think too many times, including myself, where I find myself getting stuck is thinking I have to have, um, you know, perfect clarity about the path and the process when all I really need is that where I'm, where I am now and where I'm going plugged into that GPS and I can course correct along the way. And ultimately I'm going to get there. It might take me a little bit longer than somebody else, or I might get there faster than somebody else. But what really matters is that I'm going in that direction. And ultimately I'm going to get there. Let's talk a little bit about getting there because now you're in this incredible nutrition business. You're an entrepreneur. You've made, you know, you've had incredible success. Tell me a little bit more about what this nutrition program involves. What we know for sure is that the vast majority of Americans and becoming mostly everyone around the world over time as the rest of the world becomes more Americanized <laughs> in some ways, good in some ways, not good. And in one of the ways not good is that we are the most overfed and undernourished simultaneously uh, population really in the history of the world. Most people are eating from the moment they wake up in the morning till the moment they go to bed and grazing in between. <laughs> right. <laughs> Things like eating all day. Right. <laughs> so their digestive tract is constantly working. It's constantly having to process and be a food processor. And, you know, we're, we're always in this fed state. And so our, our, the only time that our bodies ever get somewhat of a rest in where they can start to rejuvenate, start to repair, start to, dis, to, to break down and discard parts of ourselves that aren't working and rebuild new cells or new parts of cells that will work more effectively is while we're sleeping. And for most Americans, that's not working very well too, because most Americans are getting less sleep than they, than they actually need as well and less quality and depth of sleep. Uh, more and more uh, sleep disorders are, you know, arising every single day. And so we need to have a time in which we're actually fasting and for most people, because they eat till they go to bed, basically, you know, have that bowl of ice cream or that treat, you know, pretty close to before bed. And then they're, they're sleeping and probably a big dinner too late in the evening as well. They're still digesting while they should be fasting and, and recovering and, and rejuvenating uh, during that sleep. So their body literally never can begin to repair itself. We can never begin to start replacing, rebuilding uh, new cells and uh and new parts of cells while we're sleeping because we're, we're only maybe getting to that true fasting state which depending on what you most recently ate can take up to six hours in some cases more before you fully digested that food and absorb the nutrients out of it and so if you ate you know in the evening let's say 8 9 10 p.m and then you're waking up at you know 6 7 p.m you, you only maybe got into a true fasted state for maybe an hour or two and so and what's ideal, right? Hours of the day, you're, you're, you're essentially in a fed state and maybe one to two hours for the average American. Are they actually in a fasting state where their body can restore and repair and rejuvenate and, and build new cells and all those things. So that's a big, big part of the problem. What, what is the ideal length of time for a fasting state? Well, the answer in science is usually it depends. <laughs> <laughs> Like I said at the beginning, there's not one perfect one size fits all approach to fasting or the length of time. And that, and it can even vary for people over time as their body gets healthier and adapts and their metabolism improves um, their, their mitochondria, which are the energy producing components of your, of all of our hundred trillion cells as they get healthier and are able to process your own body fat and convert it into energy for the cells. That's a process that can take time. And early in the process, when a person is uh, learning to go for longer periods of time where they're not feeding, essentially when they're fasting, uh, they're going to feel, they're not going to feel so good because the mitochondria aren't able to produce the energy from our, our either our, from our body fat as efficiently as it should. So they can feel sluggish, like brain fog, lack of energy, you know, feeling sick even. And so that process may need, a person may need to micro progress themselves into this fasting process so they don't just go all in and try to do a full day fast right off the bat and feel absolutely horrible and sick and say, well, fasting doesn't work. It's not for me. I felt worse. Right. So I'm more of a fan of helping the average person micro progress into fasting over a period of 
four weeks, six weeks, eight weeks. If the person has various medical conditions, um, hypoglycemia, low blood sugar episodes, uh, if they're on various medications, high blood pressure medication, and if they're uh, diabetic, um, you know, these, especially these populations, they usually need a more incremental approach. Ultimately, if they can do full one-day fast, two-day fast, or even even longer, and there's ways to do this without just drinking only water, right? There's ways we can still provide the body some nutrition, low enough calorie, but high nutrient density, where they can still preserve their muscle and shed their fat and keep blood sugar stable. But ultimately, over time, they can progress themselves being able to do that. Even someone with hypoglycemia or someone on high blood pressure medication or someone with type 2 diabetes. But it needs to be an incremental progression for most people. Otherwise, they'll usually throw in the towel and give up, right? So I'm all, I'm, I've learned this from when I was uh, had my fitness and rehab business, and, and I've carried this principle over into this business. And it's that what, what actually is proven to work for, more, for most people, remember, it's not every person because it depends in science, is not necessarily as important as what someone will do. So what works doesn't matter as much as what someone will do. They're both important. They're absolutely both important. But for instance, I used to give people, when I first got out of graduate school and I was in the fitness and rehab industry, I would give people, you know, 15 exercises like the first day because I was going to heal the world. I was going to cure everybody. Right. And so I'd be like, okay, you have back pain. All right. Here's the proven system based on your type of back pain that is going to cure. Right. And so even though I was going by the evidence-based research in many of these cases, those are, we got to understand that those are controlled studies. So the people, the subjects that are recruited into those studies, they're signing documents that they're going to follow certain protocols in order to get the reward or the payment or whatever it is for participating in that research. So it's not necessarily real world, even though it was peer reviewed research. So they may say, well, in this population, if you give these 15 exercises, you know, 85% of them, you know, have a statistically significant reduction in back pain and improvement in overall quality of life and these other factors. And what we, what we don't necessarily look at that we should is not just statistical significance. We need to look at practical significance. What I realized was when I gave people 15 exercises, the percentage of people that would actually do them was like 5%. Yeah. Anything else. Right. Because <laughs> they come back and I'd be like, so how'd the exercises go? Oh, to be honest with you, I didn't do them. <laughs> Plus I was giving them extra, I was giving them like two to three times a day. You know, so I realized fairly quickly that this wasn't working, even though I would do the 15, because I'm just you kind of an obsessive person and into the body, I would do them. Most, I'm one of the 5%, most, the 95% wouldn't. So I scaled it back. And so I ultimately got back to where, you know, five was better than 15, three was better than five, one exercise was better than anything more than that. And maybe I could get them to do it twice a day, one exercise. Now, over time, as they were compliant with that and, and adhered to that, and I saw they would, they, they would do it, then I could say, you know what? You've been proven that you're doing that one exercise faithfully. I'm going to stack one more on. Would that be okay? Would you commit to doing one more so you do two of these exercises twice a day? And so what I found was the outcomes were so much better and the adherent, because the adherence was so much better. So even if you had the perfect program nutritionally, where it was, okay, you need, here's your list of all the ingredients that you need for all these different recipes that you are going to make on a, on a daily basis, where you're also going to you know, weigh, and weigh your food and you're going to count every calorie and you're going to track all of these macronutrients in a, a nutrient tracking app. And you're going to Tupperware your food out every day and you're going to have multiple meals a day. And this is how you're going to time it all. And you know, even though that could be a great protocol for people, and it could be the perfect solution for a person, it doesn't matter if they won't do it. That sounds exhausting, Ryan. Yeah. <laughs> the protocol. That's why most people, I've yet to meet a person who's not the busiest person they know. Right. You, know, you haven't seen someone in a week or two, like, oh, how's everything been going? Oh, busy. Life is crazy. Right. Oh my God. So much going on. <laughs> right. Including me, of course. I'm the busiest person I know, just like everybody else, right? So, but when you when, when you attempt to get 
95% of people to do the, that type of a protocol, whether it's with exercise or it's with any change from their regular routine, including nutrition too, if they're, if, if they're not going to be able to do it for three years, 30 years, I'm not going to tell them to do it for 30 days. So sustainability, a lifestyle system that's sustainable for people that fits easy into their crazy busy life and state of overwhelm is just as important to me as what could be the perfect program, but would have very low compliance, very low adherence. Fast forwarding a little bit, people start this nutritional program, you started this nutritional program. What, what are the results you're seeing? Because you're saying like, I see miracles happen. What, yes. what, what have you seen? First of all, just in and of myself, I mean, I, I, I guess I would call it a miracle from what I, how I was living before, as I explained earlier in the, the podcast, I've actually been able to put on 20 pounds of muscle while simultaneously I dropped 10 pounds of fat over these six years. And I, I never did a uh, kind of a bulking phase to try to gain muscle and then a cutting phase to try to lose as much fat while keeping muscle. I never did any of that. I just continued with the combination of superfood nutrition, flooding my body with optimal, complete nutrition, as well as combining that with time-restrictive feeding or we want to call it intermittent fasting. And, and, and it's done on those things for me, but beyond that, those numbers, it's, what's important to me is that I feel better than I've ever felt. I'm leaner than I've ever been, even though I'm six years older. And usually when you go from being 31 to 38, like I am now, uh, you're getting unhealthier as you approach 40. I have never been as lean and as healthy as I am right now and had the mental focus and clarity and the sustainable energy throughout the day like I have with what I've been doing. And it's been an incremental progression. Um, when you try to make big change too fast, it usually backfires for people. Yeah, uh, This has been a lifestyle change that has, has made the biggest difference for me. Um, and so that's a miracle in and of itself to me to be really feeling younger, even though, you know, biologically as I'm getting older chronologically is amazing. And then, you know, we, we have, we do have people, um, Miguel, uh, Kenya, who just got featured in people magazine a few months ago. And, uh, she was, you know, basically knocking on this door. She was, uh, you know, upper 500 pounds, you know, a friend of hers introduced her to this method and she's dropped, uh, about right about 450 pounds off her body. Holy cow. If you see these photos, you will absolutely be floored. It's absolutely unbelievable without surgery or drugs or, you know, any, any extreme approaches like the, the biggest, um, what is it called? The, the biggest loser. Yeah. The biggest loser program <laughs> where you should look at the research on that. Look it up. The audience should look that up and, 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 and see what's happened with the vast majority of these people who have, um, you know, lost that extreme amount of weight. Statistically, almost all of them have gained back the weight and then some, and actually their metabolic changes um, when their blood panels look worse than when they did before, you know, and that's very typical of extreme weight loss. Um, but Kenya's maintained this for a few years and just keeps getting better, you know, that's so, so exciting miracle. And I, you know, it, it's not just the pounds. I mean, it's, it's, it's all the people who maybe they didn't, you know, need to lose a hundred pounds or more, but they've, they've had, you know, changes in their body that have, you know, enabled them to do things they used to love to be able to do that they had stopped doing uh, because of discomfort in their joints and in their muscles and um, lack of energy. And now they're able to do those things again. And, and that, you know, fills them up and enables them to be a better, a better spouse, enables them to be a better mom or dad and to perform better at their work and maybe even get a pay raise. Taking care of yourself is sometimes that first step people need to embark upon. And inevitably what we see is it trickles down to every area of their life. It's that mind body connection, emotional connection. You know, you start taking care of yourself physically and, and that can transcend into, you know, how you feel about yourself and how you feel about yourself impacts how you show up in the world and how you show up in the world, you know, manifest and how you impact other people's lives. And, and then, and that, and that, that, you know, in turn improves your sense of fulfillment and joy in your own life. And, uh, you can really maximize your quality of life potential. And, you know, not just so you can live young, not just so that you can live longer, but so you can live younger, healthier, longer with that, that higher quality life until you, until you're gone. So it's, it's about not just, you know, dying and living a few more years after that. It's about living until you die, living life in the fullest. And well, so and that's the miracles that I'm seeing in people's lives, whether or not they're like Kenya or myself or anywhere in between, 
it's just been the most, most fulfilling journey, uh, being a part of that in some way, um, than I've ever been on. Absolutely. You know, and I know that from our conversation before too, there's a real personal point in this for you. And you brought up earlier about your father. Tell, yes. tell us a little bit about how that's impacted this for you. Yes. Well, I'll tell you about my dad. Um, I might get choked up in this, but you know, both my parents been my biggest cheerleaders for my entire life and uh, willing to drop anything for me. And I see them, I see them um, do the same thing as grandparents now. And it's just amazing. Um, you know, and, and, and my dad, I mean, he would drop everything to just go, you know, throw the football with me or go, you know, be my training partner and, and, and help me, you know, when I was uh, doing wind sprints or something, you know, he would, he would be there to kind of to cheer me on or, you know, to be my rebounder in basketball. But what I also know about my dad is that he didn't have the same interest in nutrition and health and the body <laughs> that, that I did. And so food and drinks and things to him really most of his life just been something that fills you up a few times a day. It makes you feel good for a little while until you need more of it. Right. Right. Carbohydrate intoxicated, the diet sodas, you know, packs a day. And uh, he'd been a smoker for almost 30 years as well until I was born and, and went cold Turkey on it. Um, for me, hmm. you know, not necessarily for him, uh, probably we still be smoking today, but, you know, he had, a, he had a, his boy after, he had, you know, he had two girls, nothing against girls. I love my sisters, you know, but <laughs> dad wants a boy usually too. So he did that for me because he knew the dangers of the secondhand smoke and the going to be an example for me well, right after I was born, I believe it was. And so he's always been there for me and he take care of everybody else except for himself, you know? And, and, and so it caught up to him and, you know, over the last couple of decades, even, you know, it was one diagnosis after another, uh, and multiple medications stacked on top of each other and, uh, chronic lifestyle related, uh, health conditions. Um, some of these things you can have a predisposition to developing, uh, but, but it's also, you know, we have, um, you know, a hand in, you know, taking care of our bodies and, and, uh, reducing the severity of those conditions if they come, or maybe, preventing some of those things from happening in the first place. If you do things right, but he didn't know any of that, you know, so he's ignorant to those things. Um, and I didn't know enough to be able to help him, uh, at the time, even though I had all these different degrees, I didn't learn about a lot of the, the science and advancements in, uh, in being able to empower people to take control of their health and prevent many of these chronic lifestyle conditions like I do now. And so I didn't really know what to do with a lot of that, even though I could, you know, teach people and about exercise and, and, and help people, um, from a physical standpoint in many ways, these deeper, more complicated, uh, health conditions were, were things that I, I hadn't learned, you know, up through my graduate school. And, you know, and part, and part of that is because many of the advancements have really come about in the last five years or, or 10 years. And I've been out of school for 16 years out of graduate school. So, uh, you know, many of these things are new advancements, but you know, my, my dad, you know, ultimately almost passed away in February. Uh, he had a biopsy done, um, ultimately showed it was a uh, late stage of cancer. And, uh, as a result of that biopsy, he got an infection, which is actually very common, especially if you have a weak immune system and older adults, he's 73 now. Uh, tend to have weaker immune systems, although there's a lot we can do about that you know, if we're proactive about it to strengthen our immune system to help us to not only not you know not get an infection necessarily, but to be able to come back from it. Um, and but his immune system was weak, and so he woke up paralyzed in the middle of the night, uh, couldn't talk, couldn't move. Um, my mom's you know over seventy as well; she couldn't move him, and he couldn't respond to anything she was saying. So called the ambulance and you know, followed him to the hospital and in the ambulance. So my dad <clears throat> relayed this to me later after he made it through this barely, um, that he had an epiphany and he said, it was just like, all of a sudden he had a minute of clarity and, and he was able to see the, the, uh, ER workers above him, um, you know, hooking him up to the IVs and the oxygen and the things they were doing and saying, and he just, all everything come, he thought he was going to die at that moment. And, he said everything became very real and, and he is like, he, his life flashed before his eyes and he 
you know, looked back and, and thought about all the things in life that he had done and invested himself into or not into that didn't matter. And then he thought all about all the things that really did matter. And so um, the most important things in life became very clear to him at that time. And so, you know, he thought, if I make it through this, I'm going to make changes. And, uh, and he did, he's in the hospital for, you know, almost a week and was able to, you know, recover from that. And now he came out, you know, face continuing to face many of these health challenges, still not in a supremely healthy state by any means and uh, in a precarious state really. But he, all of a sudden he, it became real to him and he had that new motive I don't like saying motivation, but we'll say perspective, you know, right? Resolve is probably a better word than motivation. Okay. okay. In resolve, promising yourself you'll do whatever you need to do to, to change in the right direction. And I've seen that in him where he's really taking my, my advice through into him and through my mom and, and through some uh, functional medicine practitioners we've got him connected with. Uh, They're doing great work with him. And my, wish is that it hadn't taken uh, an, an epiphany moment um, near the end of his life, you know, to come to that realization. But my mission now is to help him live, you know, the best he possibly can and enjoy how many years he has left. I don't know whether or not we prolong those years or not, um, but, but to have an amazing quality of life as he possibly can during those last time of his life, you know, and if I can prolong it, Great, but I, I want him to be able to thrive as much as he possibly can, and so so that's that's my mission is uh, to help him, but also to help myself because I, I inherit all those same risks that he did. I've done some genetic testing, and I, I do have all those same risks, even though I'm lean and I'm fitter than I've ever been. I have a, a propensity to develop those things, hardwired into my body and my cells. So I need to do everything possible that I can for myself. I don't want to be uh, having my wife and kids you know, have to really take care of me in the latter stage of my life. I want to live till I die. Thank you for sharing that powerful story. I, I know that's such a personal note and touches my heart. Well, you're welcome. I think uh, if it can help, you know, even one, one listener out there, you know, whether it's for themselves or it's for someone that they really care about, someone that they love, then it's been worth it. And I encourage them to share this podcast with that person that they love, if it, if it is a loved one. And uh, maybe it could be enough of a wake-up call, you know, for them to start taking their health and their, their mind, their body health and these things, you know, more seriously. Well, and to not wait until, like you said, you're in the ambulance and you're having this epiphany moment that you can actually be more proactive and start making these changes now, making these changes today, so that you truly are having this highest quality of life no matter where you are on the path. Absolutely. We're, we're just about out of time, Ryan. You know, I know we didn't get to talk about your, your future project. I know one of the things that, that you're working on, if you could just mention that and then maybe let people know how they could get a hold of you. As a result of, you know, these experiences over the course of my life that we've been talking about, and more specifically, uh, in, in, in the scenario with my own dad, uh, it's inspired me to uh, launch a, a new business project um, that is all about helping people unlock their potential to live younger, healthier, longer uh, through natural approaches. And uh, it's called Live Young, Be Free. And, and, and that I couldn't sum it up any better than helping people to be able to live young and be free in their life. And that's what I'm passionate about. That's what I want to equip and enable and empower people to be able to take their health and in, into their own hands. And, and so that's the, the business project I'll say, but also more than a business, it is a mission to really impact uh, world health. And so you can follow me, I'm getting, you know, my Facebook uh, up and running and my website still isn't live yet, but you know, you can be, looking out for uh, Live Young Be Free with Dr. Ryan. And uh, I envision having a podcast much like you. So I'm inspired by you uh, with the podcast that you're doing. And, and so um, I'm just looking forward to be able to, you know, make as much impact as I can. And even if it only helps, even if it only to help one person, um, it would be worth it. Uh, but I envision it helping much more than one person. That's for sure. 
So do I. So do I. And I just appreciate you sharing all of this, all your wisdom, all your knowledge, your personal journey and experience. And, and I do think that's, that's how we reach all these other people and, and impact other lives as it resonates with different people. So I appreciate you being here so much, Ryan. Thank you so much. Yeah, you're welcome. It's my pleasure. And I'm honored to be a part of your great mission and what you're doing because um, we're on the same path and maybe taking, you know, slightly different but synergistic approaches to helping impact people's lives. Um, but uh, we need as many people out there as we possibly can that are advocates and being health guides, whether it's mental health, physical health, whatever area it is. So I applaud you for everything that you're doing. The message I took away from Ryan's interview was one of reinvention and continuing to develop ourselves throughout our lives, internally, physically, as well as professionally. It is the awareness that we are never truly stuck on the path. Our journey may take many forms as Ryan did when he realized that his life wasn't as he wanted it. He had gained weight, he didn't have enough time with his wife or kids, and he knew his career wasn't serving him, so he decided to make a change. We all come to crossroads in our lives. We can lie down in the road and allow life to run over us, or we can choose a new path, knowing that just moving forward and following our passions will serve us in reaching our destination and a more fulfilled life. I loved Ryan's energy and passion to serve others on a bigger scale. I truly believe when we look at where we can utilize our gifts and passions to contribute in this world, the road of our lives actually becomes a treasure map, and the reward we find is something that more deeply serves us all. Remember, The Spark is your show too. If you have questions, feedback on the show, or if you're going through something and need a little help, we'd love to hear from you. Continue the conversation with us at our website, thesparkpod.com, and on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube. New episodes of The Spark air Wednesdays at 7 p.m. Mountain, and podcast episodes are released the same day. To make sure you don't miss an episode, subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher Radio, or wherever you get your podcasts. The show is not a substitute for professional care by a doctor or other qualified medical professional and should not be considered medical advice. If you're having a mental or physical health crisis, please seek treatment immediately. The Spark is produced by NOCO Media Limited, which is solely responsible for its content. Thanks again for listening. This has been The Spark, igniting your best life. I'm Stephanie James. Programming on NoCo FM is supported by its listeners and by Audible.com. With over 180,000 titles to choose from, Audible.com allows you to listen to an immense library of books for every taste on your iPhone, Android, Kindle, tablet, or computer. Audible.com has a special offer for listeners which includes a free audiobook of your choice and a 30-day free trial. Learn more and get your free audiobook now at noco.fm audible.